Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here again, um, to see some of you for the first time. Uh, as Chris said, well, as I said, in fact, yeah. Uh, my name's Graham, and uh, we're going to look at that passage that Caroline read to us. So please do have uh, your Bible open, please, at page 862 or 452, Jonah 3. And we're going to pray as we come to God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God. That you reveal yourself to us through your word. Uh, You reveal yourself to us through uh, that ultimate word, the Lord Jesus. And so as we come now, we pray, Father, you would be at work uh, by your spirit in our hearts. Would you take dead hearts and make them alive? Would you take lazy hearts and thrill them with Jesus? Father, would you open our eyes that we might fix our eyes on Jesus and know him and knowing at him no life eternal, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Where's your homework? How many people have been asked that recently? Maybe some of you, that still eh, puts a a terror in you. Maybe some of us who are older, that question, where's your own work, scares us. I can still see it. 1995, Mr. Stephen, chemistry. Thompson, where's your own work? And what goes through your mind straight away? the dog get it it was too hard Mr Stephen don't you realise it's the World Cup (laughs) get your priorities straight man but you're instantly thinking throughout your lies promises uh, reasons excuses and even when I hear that even when I say it now that guilt and that dread and that fear comes up I got away with it, by the way, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> but for some of us who are here this morning, and we're Christians, that same feeling comes up when we talk about what Jonah did here. Going out and telling people about Jesus. We're worried that we don't do very well at it. We're worried... That we don't do it at all. But Jonah's here to give us hope. This uh, passage is here to give us hope. Perhaps for some of us, we, we're thinking, well, I'm not even sure I've got a relationship with God. I'm not sure I know who God is. This passage is here to give us hope. Because, uh, as we thought yesterday, if you were here yesterday, Jonah... He's not some special case. Jonah is a loser. Just like you and me. He, as we thought with Chris, he literally tried to run in the other direction to where God wanted him to go. Because, in many ways, he was a chicken. But here, in chapter 3, in graciously using Jonah to rescue these people in Nineveh, 
God is giving us hope. Now, if we're Christians, we can uh, share Jesus with people openly and with confidence because God is in control. And if we're not yet Christians, God says in this chapter, come. No Jesus and no life. So, as we think about that's what we're thinking about this morning, that hope that Jonah gives us. And so, as we look at this passage, we've got four things. If you've got one of the bulletins, uh, they're inside there. Uh, and the first one is this. We're looking at verses 1 to 2, and we see that Jonah is given no new message. Now, I'm glad there's some younger folks with us today, because I, I was worried that uh, some, of the, some of the other folks might not get this illustration as clearly. You know when uh, you're on your WhatsApp chat? Right? And uh, somebody said something shocking and, and you're, you're really annoyed at them. And you've sent something back, you've really given them a go on it. And 10 minutes pass and they've not replied. 12 minutes pass and they've not replied. What do you do? Do you throw your phone away? I don't. I don't know what you do. I stand there and I refresh my phone. And then two minutes later, I refresh my phone. Or when. When I can't get up to the telly and there's a football match on, and my team are losing, you refresh your phone, don't you? It's, it might change. If I keep refreshing my phone, it might change. Perhaps that's what Jonah thought as he came out of this whale. He'd been given a message by God, chapter 1, and go to the Ninevites, and he'd run away from it. Perhaps as he came out of the fish, he thought, hey, God's maybe got a new message for me. It is going to be changed. Uh, Just have a glance back in your Bible there at chapter 1 and verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Keep that in your mind, and then go back to chapter 3 that Caroline read us, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will give you. It's not a new message, is it? Almost exactly the same words. In fact, the only changes are that God says it again. You know, that it's the second time. And that God adds something. He says, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will give you. He gives him the same command, the same message. And those changes actually emphasize for us that he's giving him the same message because it's a second time and because he says, look, you're getting no wriggle room with this, Jonah. You're going to tell him exactly what I tell you to say. You see, the important fact for us to grasp here is that Jonah is called to do the same thing, exactly the same thing. In fact, he's already been told to go and do. No matter how much he didn't want to, uh, we looked at yesterday how Jonah had had this really exciting uh, message to give uh, to his people uh, years before, maybe. When he told them about power and blessing and God's prosperity for them. Maybe he wanted that again. Maybe he wanted something new, but God says, here's the message, Jonah. You go to Nineveh like I told you before. You call out uh, against them like I told you before. And this time, here's where it changes. Look, verse 3. Instead of running away, verse 3, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. This time he goes. As we thought about yesterday evening in chapter 2, he's been transformed. 
We're going to see in chapter 4 uh, this evening that he possibly still doesn't like it massively. But Jonah has been transformed and therefore he follows through God's command. And often, you know, we want a new call from God. We want the message to change. We'd like it to be a bit more exciting, please. Or rewarding. Or a bit less difficult. In many areas of our lives, we'd like... eh, Thank you, yeah, we'd like to get into heaven without actually having to change much. We'd like to eh, follow Jesus, perhaps, if we're already Christians, without having to change much. We don't want to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We don't want to eh, do the hard yards of telling other people the good news about Jesus. We don't want to love those other Christians who are really quite annoying, actually. But the call to us in this passage is the same as the call to Jonah. To see God's goodness and love in calling us to live as he has called us to. To realise the joy and the satisfaction that that comes from living for Jesus. To being obedient. To see... That following Jesus is our greatest good. I was uh, watching a while ago a, a nature program, and there's these chicks up on the uh, cliffs, guillemots, I think they are. Somebody who knows more about birds can tell me later. Uh, but basically, they live up on these cliffs from when they're born, but they've got to get away and get to the sea. The problem is they can't fly, and so they do like a mega death dive, dive off this cliff, and just float down and land in the sea. And some of them do it, and you know the, the, the ad nuts do it straight away, don't they? Dive in, I can do it. And then some of them are just like, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. And on this program there's this uh, picture of this chick, and it just it wouldn't move. And its parents nudging it, nudging it down one ledge to another, and it won't move. And the seagulls, the big massive herring gulls or whatever, are coming in to eat it. And eventually the parent just gets fed up. Pushes it, and it's tottering its balance, and it jumps off. Lands on a rock, fortunately it bounces, so it's fine, into the sea. But that chick was terrified. I don't want to make the jump. I don't want to do the hard yards. And the parent graciously said, no, what's good for you is to go. Again and again and again, this parent had to say, get off, get off. Do the thing that is good for you. And perhaps the word of God is coming to you, maybe not for the first time this morning. Perhaps you're you're not in a relationship with Jesus. Perhaps you have heard it all before, that Jesus died on the cross to save people. That you need to put your faith in him, repent and believe the gospel. Perhaps you know all that, you've heard it time and time again. You know what you need to do. But you've just never really experienced it yourself. And he's saying, well, can't there be a different message? Just a message of of life and fast cars and uh, booze and all that kind of stuff. Success in exams, whatever it is. The same message is you need Jesus. Life is found only in him. Come 
uh, repent and believe the gospel. Perhaps like Jonah, you're a Christian and there's an area of your life where God's given you the same message again and again and again. Sort that out. Do something about that. You know that God calls you to stop that or start this. But you just don't want to let go. But the message isn't going to change. Perhaps as you think about how you share Jesus with people or or perhaps how you don't share Jesus with people. Maybe like Jonah, you and I need a kick up the backside to go. Maybe it's one of those things you feel guilty about all the time. I I don't know any non-Christians. I'm not telling people the gospel. Well, as my mum used to tell me when I was doing my own work, or not doing my own work and felt guilty about it, there's a really easy way to stop feeling guilty. To get on and do. So where do you need to reassess? Where do I uh, need to reassess our lives? Uh, What sin of failing to listen or obey God do you need to confess? Where do you just need to take that plunge? But like Jonah here, we see that that's not easy. Because the second thing we see, verses 3 to 4, is that there's no small challenge. No small challenge. Because eh, perhaps you learn about Jonah, we're thinking yesterday, in a children's Bible or in Sunday school or or whatever. And they've always got those nice pictures, haven't they? Of of Jonah dropped off at Nineveh with the whale kind of waving goodbye in the background. (laughs) Jonah comes out, his clothes all freshly laundered. Out of this whale. But I was thinking about this. Uh, and I realised as I was thinking about uh, where Jonah might be dropped off. That they hadn't built the Suez Canal yet. So for this fish to swim to Nineveh. Which was in Iraq. It would have had to swim all the way around Africa. In uh, three days. Now it's a miraculous fish. But that's taking the mick a bit. And as we read the text carefully. Where was Jonah dropped off? Back in Israel. So not only did Jonah have to take the self-same message to Nineveh, he had to take the self-same sacrifice. He had to walk from Israel to Iraq. It's between six and 700 miles. It's going to take him, depending on how fast he walks, if he walks quite fast, it's going to take him over a month. And he's just spent three days and nights in a whale. That's a big challenge, isn't it? Especially if he didn't really want to go in the first place. Do you remember your first day at high school? I don't know about you. You can tell. Tell school scarred me, can't you? I've perhaps need therapy or something. You remember your first day at high school? You've been there in your little primary school, or your first day in a new job, and you're walking along, or you're getting off the bus, and you walk slower and slower and slower, and you see the year 11s there, big hard guys. If you, went to the school, if you went to a school like mine, you'd heard the stories about being flushed down the toilet, getting chucked off Faggy's Corner. You got more and more worried. You slowed down more and more. Perhaps something will even go wrong. I thought, perhaps I'll get knocked down by a car, and then I'll have to spend six weeks in hospital, and I won't have to go to school. I, get, I think I need therapy, definitely. <laughs> but that's probably John here, isn't it? He's got to walk a long way, and he doesn't want to do it. It's a big challenge. And then think of the scale of the challenge when he got there. Uh, our, our narrator helps us, doesn't it? Uh, he gives us 
Uh, these uh, descriptions of Nineveh's size. He says, verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. I mean, it doesn't just mean uh, kind of that it's a, a big place. It means it's a really important city. Look at verse 3. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Now, it's complicated what that means. It could mean it takes three days to walk around. It could mean it, t- means it, it takes three days to go through it. It could mean uh, that it's such an important city that when you go there, you have to do the meet and greet. You know, like the politicians, the pictures in front of the flag and all that sort of stuff. Whatever, it means it's a really important big city. There's a hundred, uh, we learn in chapter four, there's 120,000 people there. Now that doesn't seem much to us, does it? But at that time, that was like millions. It's important. And Assyria, this nation that Nineveh's kind of the capital of, is like the most important nation in the world. They could have anybody. And there's poor little Jonah going to this city. He's from a tiny little nation that's kind of irrelevant. He's the prophet of a God they've never heard of. Let's face it, he spent three days inside the stomach of a fish, and then he walked 700 miles. You know, he's not going to look like he's on a perfume advert, is it? He probably looks a bit uh, weird. And then he's got this weird, even unscary, as it were, message. He comes and he says, you know this God you've never heard of? Well, he's going to smash you if you don't sort yourselves out. And they're going to go, all right, yeah, cheers, Jonah, see you later. Jonah's probably uh, walking there going, thinking, what's the point? They're not going to listen to me. I might not even be admitted to the city. He's got a huge challenge in front of him. And maybe uh, here in Otley, maybe wherever we're uh, in a church, if we're Christians, we could look around and think the challenge in front of us is massive. There are thousands of people. There's barely any uh, Christians. And let's face it, I don't want to be rude, but if I was choosing a group of people to turn this town upside down, I'm afraid I won't choose you lot. I know Chris right well, and I won't choose him. I'd have, I'd have rich, important people with great teeth and good hair. I'm not saying you haven't. Uh, <laughs> but that's it, you know... Football stars and celebrities and stuff. You get TV adverts. If it, the size of the task in front of us doesn't overwhelm us, then we haven't understood it. You, me, none of us can change anybody. I can't change you. You can't change me. We are still do exactly what we want to do. As Ephesians 2 reminds us, people outside of Jesus are dead in their trespasses and sins. You can, I, I can't bring the dead to life, neither can you. And if you're uh, not a Christian here this morning, that, that's a, a challenge to you, isn't it? The Bible says the challenge in front of you is that you're dead, separated from God. And outside of Jesus, you cannot change yourself. The only one who can is Jesus through his death at a cross. But you see, when we look at the scale of all those challenges, we don't want to do them, do we? 
Uh, earlier in the year, I, uh, I joined the gym. And it was just after the new year. You know, like everybody else joins the gym in January and goes for three weeks and then has a break for six months. And I, I, I put on social media a picture. And I just put on it, hashtag, scariest new year view in the world. Do you know what it was? It was a picture of the treadmill at zero. Because that, that's scary, isn't it? After you've enjoyed Christmas, let's say, and you stand on the treadmill and you realise you've got 10k in front of you, that's not a nice view. I took the picture and then I was very tempted to take the picture and go off and go and have a burger. Because we don't want to do it when the challenge is there in front of us, we don't want to do it. When we look at this situation in front of Jonah, the situations in front of us, we see the scale of the challenge, we see how much it's going to hurt. The challenge in front of us is very often uh, just like that long, slow, difficult walk that Jonah did. But for us who are seeking to honour Jesus and share him with people, we've got to do a long, slow walk with people in order to share the gospel with them. In order to encourage and even rebuke our fellow Christians. You know, if you're a Christian here this morning, you want to um, share the gospel with people, share Jesus with people, I've got news for you, you're going to have to spend some time with people. If you want people who you don't know to know Jesus, you're going to have to get to know people you don't know. I don't know what you're like at that, that terrifies me. New people scare me. Perhaps it does for you getting to know people, getting out of the Christian uh, bubble. Because all of us are, are basically lovers of comfort, aren't we? We don't want to put ourselves out. We don't want to have to challenge ourselves. We don't want to uh, get to know people who aren't like us. We don't want to speak challenging words to people about their need of Jesus, especially when they think it's silly, irrelevant or offensive. And if it's true that we can't save or change anybody, it means we're going to have to invest time and energy and effort in prayer to the God who can, the God who does. So uh, we've got no new message, we've got no small challenge, but verses 5 to 10, we've got no less motivation. Because uh, from verses 5 to 10, we just see this massive change, don't we? This great city is transformed. It's not just uh, the poor people who are desperate, but it's the rich. It's not just the rich who've got time to think these things through while they're sat on the couches sipping Prosecco. It's the poor people as well. God here saves people across society. And when they turn, verse 10... When they repented of their evil way and asked God for forgiveness, God forgave them. And it's important for us to get here that God didn't change. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and did not do it. Now, you might say, well, God's changed his mind there. What's going on? No, God didn't change his mind. They changed. 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. But they said, no, we're not like that anymore. We're we're, we're turning away from our sin. And Jonah knew that throughout God's word, when people turn from their sin and put their trust in the Lord, God 
saves. It's the same today. If we turn from our sin and put our hope in Jesus, in his life, death and resurrection, God promises to save. And notice, please, who did this. Look there, verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. Really complicated message, this. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, he might have said a little bit more than that, but it's not like a massive uh, philosophical argument, is it? He said his piece, and do you know what? After verse 4, until chapter 4, Jonah's not mentioned again at all. We don't hear his name. And look there at verse 5. Jonah gave the message... And verse 5, did the people believe Jonah? No, the people of Nineveh believed God. It's that uh, thing for us to grasp here is that God changed this city, not Jonah. Not Jonah's uh, clever vocabulary. Or his big argument, God transformed this great pagan opposed city. And we might look at the challenge ahead of us and we might shy away. But we've got to get that God doesn't change. He's always consistent. He always acts in line with his character. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And he also said, I will turn away no one who comes to me. God hasn't changed. That same offer is for all of us today. It's the same God who transformed this awful city. It's the same God who calls us uh, to uh, come to him and to show him to people. To show them Jesus simply and clearly. It seems impossible, maybe, that we can change. It seems impossible that the people around us can change. But we can have the confidence that this is a God who accomplishes all his purposes. Saves all his people. It's always been the same. So perhaps you're fearful. You might be rejected. You might not be good enough for God. If you're here this morning and you think you're not good enough for God, you're bang on. You're not. But Jesus is. And he died in the place of his people to pay the price for all their sin. And that offer comes to you. Maybe you're fearful this morning as a Christian that you might be rejected by the people around them, uh, around you if you take uh, the risk to show them Jesus. But the joy of the gospel is that, uh, like Jonah here, in the opinion of the only one who matters, because you're united to Jesus, you are loved, accepted and forgiven. Maybe uh, you're lacking confidence, you're not the greatest evangelist. You might not have clever arguments, you might not be really good at explaining the gospel. A bit like Jonah then, right? He just gave really simple words, and God worked. It was the Holy Spirit who was at work to save. So who will you seek to get to know, and how this week? To share the gospel with you. Who are you praying for? That uh, they might know Jesus. That you might have opportunities uh, to speak to them. What will excite you this week? I said yesterday that you'd hear me say this a lot. You cannot give away what you don't have. Unless 
You show people the Jesus who is your life. They'll just think he is boring and irrelevant. Think of Jonah walking to seek out Nineveh, acting on God's overflowing heart of love. Think of Jesus coming down to earth to live the perfect life, to die in the place of his people, to pay the price for those who rejected him. And because he did, we can. We're free to take the risks, excited by the glory of his salvation. We'll think about, more about that this afternoon. Empowered by his spirit within us, and therefore... We rest in him and we go out with and believe in, finally, no other gospel. Just look down there again at verse 10. When God saw what they did, that's the Ninevites who responded in repentance and faith. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented. God stopped uh, this uh, disaster that was coming upon them. And did not do it. Now, that should be shocking and outrageous to us. Because these Ninevites weren't, you know, cuddly, nice people who like rabbits and fluffy bunnies. They raped, they murdered, they killed, they destroyed. Just as normal life. They were evil people. And yet when they turned, God forgave. That should be outrageous. That a holy God should forgive these evil people. But if we get the view of the Bible, that's just what God does. In his gracious loving kindness, working out who he is. An overflowing trinity of love. This God who loves his enemies enough in the first place to warn them and save them. God who loves people enough that he doesn't just pick the good ones, but he only saves losers. From the palace to the pit here, from the billionaire to the kid signing on, from the greatest to the least. A God who graciously sends a message to people who are not interested, who are far from him and without hope. A God who takes the initiative to save people who would never even think about him otherwise. A God who graciously calls people away from the evil that destroys them to the life and joy that are found in Jesus. And as we said, this is not a God who's changed. He's still overflowing with love to sinners determined on destruction. He loved so much that just as he sent Jonah, even better, he sent Jesus not only to bring the message of hope in the face of destruction, but to be the hope because of his own destruction. I've got nothing else to say to you but this. I've got no hope, no joy, no life to give to you but this. So get this. You are a rebel in the hands of a holy, righteous God. But he's a holy God of overflowing love who takes the initiative to rescue and save. A holy God of love who gave himself in the person of Jesus to take his people's rebellion and destruction upon himself at the cross. 
A God who gives life in the place of death, hope in the face of destruction. And so if you don't know Jesus yet, what are you waiting for? Do you need to tell him again? Perhaps you've heard this so often before and yet for this morning for the first time you've realised that outside of Jesus you are lost. In him you can know life and death. Don't put it off. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come. Trust in Jesus. Do it today. And if us as Christians, if we put our life and our hope and our, everything in Jesus... If we want to share that with others, again, we've got to be in awe of it ourselves. Don't ever get familiar with the gospel. Rejoice in it, as we thought about yesterday. Sing it. Encourage one another with it. If you want to show others Jesus, you've got to grab tight hold of him yourself. You can't give away what you don't have. The gospel that you proclaim to others must be your only hope. You see, Jesus talks about Jonah, Matthew 12 and Luke 11. He talks about these Ninevites who heard the word of God and repented and so were forgiven. They barely got any information, don't they? And Jesus says to the people in front of him who've seen him and heard him, he condemns those people of his time who've had so much opportunity to see the glory of God in him and yet would not repent. Every person here has had the opportunity to hear of Jesus through his word. We have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Many of us time and time and time again, if we refuse to bow the knee and follow him, he will not hold us guiltless. And for uh, you as a church, you've got a whole uh, town, a valley in many ways, who've never seen this glory. Never heard this wonderful gospel. Can we as God's people individually and collectively sit still and remain silent? Or will we pray? Will we face up to this huge uh, challenge because we've got a huge God? Will we pray for boldness uh, like ourselves that we might not be able to be silent? Will we pray uh, for salvation for those around us, that this town, this valley, this area, this county, this world might be transformed once again by the glory and love of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's no new message because there's only one message. Jesus Christ suffered and died in the place of his people to pay the price for all their sin. That is our only hope must be our only message. And we must go for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us in Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you come to rebellious sinners like us and you offer us salvation in him. Father, thank you that you have given us, your people, this privilege of showing other people this wonderful gospel. Father, would you give us hearts which are captured 
by your love for us in Jesus. And give us grace, Lord, we pray, to live our lives for your glory, overflowing with your overflowing grace and love, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.